Like Call It What You Want, which we know is your favorite podcast about the beautiful game, Viore is committed to delivering a great experience for everyone, which is highlighted by their new perspective on performance apparel. Everything is designed to work out in, but doesn't look or feel like it. In fact, I'm rocking their Stratotech polo right now, along with their Sunday performance jogger pants, so I can be business on top when I'm on camera, but super comfortable on the bottom. And it's just the best. Fiori gear is incredibly versatile, and it can be used for just about any activity. Running, training, swimming, lounging around, hosting podcasts, doing errands, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. And for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash call it. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash call it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, In Soccer We Trust YouTube fam and everybody watching from House of Champions. This is a podcast that is dedicated to all things U.S. soccer, but at times we will go into other far-reaching topics, including the sad death of one of the greatest to ever do it, the mighty Pelé. And we're going to get into that and a little bit more right after you hit like and subscribe. So let's get after it. What's up, everybody, and welcome to In Soccer We Trust. And for all of our friends at the House of Champions, we are a U.S. soccer-focused podcast, so make sure you subscribe here as well. We would really appreciate all of your support. And I'm here. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Keith Pierce and Charlie Davies. And unfortunately, we're here for news that we weren't ready to talk about, but news we're going to have to talk about regardless as the death of Pelé at the age of 82, arguably the greatest to ever do it, Brazilian legend. And I look forward to actually... Getting into this with our community, of course. If you have any comments, let us know. And then to hear from Heath and Charlie about the impact that he has had on their lives as well. Because I think the ripple effects of his influence and impact on the beautiful game and really defining what the beautiful game was are long-lasting. And as the famous artist Andy Warhol once said, Pelé is going to live longer than the 15 minutes of fame. He's going to have 15 centuries of fame. And I definitely agree with those sentiments from Andy Warhol. Charlie, let's, uh, since you're wearing the Brazilian national team kit, let's start with you. Uh, your, your thoughts about play overall. One, I would just say he's the icon of our sport, it, especially as a 17 year old to win a world cup. And, and for me, I, he put Brazilian football on the map, but he put, I, th- I think just soccer on the map period in this country, because when he came to the States, Soccer was just not not a thing in this country. And then all of a sudden it was like, Pele, he's here with the Cosmos. This is the world famous player. And it was that ex- initial excitement that got people interested in the game. But I think more importantly, just a person of color. 
he was the one that was breaking down barriers. He, he's the Jackie Robinson uh, equivalent for for our sport. He was the one that was trying to to make it acceptable. And and I think for me, I just feel like any player who's played the game, a person of color, just looks to him as as the god, as the goat, because of of what he's been able to do for our sport. Now I'm going to jump in and say, just so everybody knows some of his stats. I mean, he's the only player on the men's side to have won three world cups, which is incredible. And I think what else is interesting about it, Heath, is that he did it in three different decades. He won it in 58 as a 17 year old. He scored three goals in the semifinals against France. He had a hat trick. Then in the final, which they won five to two in 1958, he had two goals in the final. He had five goals. He had six overall in the tournament, but he scored his best and saved his best for the last two games in 62. He played the first game against Mexico, scored, got hurt. They still went on to win it. He was hurt for 66. They didn't win it. He comes back in 1970, so three different decades. At the age of 29, he wins it again. Of course, he's surrounded by incredible talent as well, but I feel like he was the talisman, the catalyst, the one that really was the signature player that everybody wanted to emulate, everyone wanted to be. And I think that for people that maybe didn't get to see him, he was the Messi, the Mbappe, the Cristiano Ronaldo of the time. Well, he just made the game look easy. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, and he brought joy. He brought fun to the sport. He brought just a different type of uh, personality. It was a very blue-collar sort of craftsman, uh, uh, not like um, working-class sport uh, at, at the time, as, as, as it always has been. But he brought a, le- a level of like, creativity, something different to the sport, which I think, obviously, most of his time was spent before I was born. Uh, the things that he was doing were done before I was born, but it was the one thing that we all look at sort of 1994 World Cup and what that meant for 96 for MLS coming around. But for people beyond our generation, they talk about NASL because of the stars that came, because Pele played in NASL um, and and the impact that he had. This was sort of the, the, the birth, I think, of the sport for a lot of people, whether you were a first or second generation immigrant, whether you were connected to the sport or whatever, we saw massive crowds and it was because of that star star factor and what he had done. And obviously you talk about winning three World Cups, but beyond that, he also revolutionized what it was like to play for a club team and what that meant to play at uh, at different clubs at different times. And, and yeah, it just sort of paved the way for so many players, as Charlie mentioned, especially uh, the, the black footballer globally. Now, Neymar came out and said that before Pelé, 10 was just a number. I've read this phrase somewhere at some point in my life, but this beautiful sentence is incomplete. I would say that before Pelé, football was merely a sport. Pelé changed it all. He turned football into art, into entertainment, gave voice to the poor, to black people, and mostly gave visibility to Brazil. Football in Brazil raised their status thanks to the king. He's gone, but his magic remains. Pelé is forever, Charlie Davies. He is forever. When you played, that's the first person that you learned about. That's Mm -hmm. the very first player that you ever learned about. I I know for myself, it was Pelé is the GOAT. This is the the player that basically created the bicycle kick, who created the Cruyff uh, that Johan Cruyff eventually was famous for. Pelé did all of these moves before it ever came to be that no one no one came up with something on their own Cristiano Ronaldo that cutback that he made famous he learned it from Pele the 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 rainbow from Pele the bicycle kick from Pele he's the one who revolutionized the sport like he said he was doing all of these things back when it had never been done that it was almost unthinkable he was that player that brought that filled stadiums 
And and I just think of how fortunate I am to have played in the stadiums that he's played in. And I, I always think about Azteca and him raising that trophy in the 1970 World Cup, how, how just that moment stands out in my mind as a young as a young player and and you know re- really see really relishing learning about the game in those historical moments and then he he scored in in that 1957 world cup that you talked about or 58 um where he's playing in sweden and i got a chance to play in that same stadium and i'm just thinking man these are these are moments where this icon had played on the same pitch that I that I had had the opportunity to play on. So I'm just thankful that we I've gotten to to be in those moments, those same places where he's made the magic happen. Just to, just an incredible, incredible person and an athlete and someone that, you know, it's it's once in a generation, once in a lifetime that you ever get to see someone like that. Yeah, let's hey, let's well, Jimmy, I want to say really quick, really yeah. quick on because this is we're still I want to talk on the field and then obviously. There's a whole nother life to Pelé that happened off the field. And as he retired and still continued to grow his brand and his influence. But what I find funny, Heath, and I want to get your thoughts on this, and then you can pepper me with questions, is the fact that if you talk to somebody who saw Pelé play mm-hmm. and, and grew up now and, and saw Messi play or Ronaldo or whoever, Zidane, whoever you, you put up there in your top three or four or five, they'll always, no, 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 Pelé's the best. Like they'll, they've seen these other players. Yeah, not even close, they'd say. And not they're, even they're close. not even, you can't even argue with them. There's not even room for discussion. That's how adamant they are that, no, 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 you haven't seen the great Pelé. You just haven't seen it. These players are good. And these players owe Pelé, you know, a debt of gratitude for what he has done and really created and started. And I love Neymar's comments about turning it into art, into entertainment. And, and I just think that's so rad that these people will not budge. They can't even get them to move an inch towards anybody other players, any other players, because they're so enamored by what they saw. And I think it's because he's the one, as Neymar said, basically turned this into something magical. And, and when you get a taste of that, it's hard to go find that with somebody else. Well, there is just there is degrees of Lionel Messi in other players, right? There's degrees of Cristiano Ronaldo in other players uh, where you can see flashes, glimpses. You can see certain aspects of the game. And I think when I when I think about the way people uh, were unwilling to and continue and will always be unwilling to argue this is that there was no degrees of Pele in any other player mm-hmm, in any mm-hmm. generation, right? He was the only one doing the things that he was. Whereas now that type of player uh is 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 different and funny enough charlie put on his, his old uh vintage brazil and when i was thinking about it i was like you know what what's something that i have that that represents him when i was putting it on and i was thinking about umbro the double diamond brand and i was like yeah i've got a bunch of this stuff and he's just synonymous with that to me both with the cosmos and and just everything that he'd done with 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 uh with with umbro oddly enough though when i was thinking about the puma king i was like yeah of course the puma king this was uh this was made for him right Mm-hmm. Turns out it wasn't. This was made for Eusebio, and I had no idea any pre Johan Cruyff wore it at the, around the same time. Like I, I had zero recollection of any other player wearing a Puma King other than Pele. That was the only person that I that I had known. And apparently, it was made for Eusebio, who had, who had gone in with with one of the uh, Dossler brothers and asked them to design something that wasn't flat anymore. Um, but I I never knew and was never curious about any history of the boot until I recently looked it up and saw that it wasn't even made for him. He made it famous 
but it wasn't made for him necessarily. Uh, a version of it was made for him. And, and I just think that's in- incredible when I think about the history of somebody uh, and the impact they had. And again, uh, the, ge- ge- the generational side of things. I-, I can't think of another player out there across any sport, and maybe Messi now and Ronaldo. But if you're saying any barring sport, those, Michael Jordan uh, is any, probably the only one that. Yeah, Michael Jordan, maybe. I, I still think there's people around the world that don't know who LeBron James is. Who've never LeBron James isn't, isn't in Michael Jordan's category no, yet. But but my, my point Ali. being that there's Muhammad Ali. Yeah, Muhammad Ali. Yeah, my point being that this is somebody that I could ask like if I went to my dad, my dad didn't know a single thing about the sport ever. Mm-hmm. He knew who Pele was, right? Because mm-hmm. he had he had found a way to get into my dad's newspaper, my dad's radio, my dad's uh, television. At some point in his life, it was thrown into his face of saying. You cannot miss this guy. And I don't think there's anybody else that's getting that's especially during that era where news and information had to travel so differently mm-hmm. uh, that every single person on earth had heard of this person is, is, is I'm, just I'm curious for both yeah. of you because it seemed like after the this World <laughs> Cup that it was Messi unquestionably is the GOAT. Not even close now. He's got mm-hmm. the one World Cup. Do you, now that Pele has passed away and people are now looking at his old videos, his highlights, and they're saying, oh, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I don't know if we can just necessarily give that crown to Messi. And and people were saying it was Maradona and Messi for the top two, kind of forgetting about Pele. Now that you can kind of look back at it a little bit closer now, it, it has Messi eclipsed a player, a player like Pele? I, has I, he, has it maybe has eclipsed Maradona? And Maradona is obviously a name that a lot of people are familiar with, but not to the level of Pele. I think I think when we look back on what Pele has done, I feel like his brand and and what he the, like this is ambassadorial work of growing the game all over the world mm-hmm. is gonna eclipse whatever Messi can do. Messi, Messi on a, on a pure playing perspective. Messi and, and Pelé, I think, are in the same conversation. And I think you could make a strong argument for Messi, especially since he's now won a World Cup, done the Copa America, and, and has won every single trophy imaginable. If we look at it with unemotionally, the fact that Pelé wasn't allowed to go to Europe for whatever reason, didn't go to Europe, and he stayed in Brazil and played for Santos, I think that will always kind of work against him, that he didn't go over and compete against the best of the best. Now, people can say, well, in the World Cup, when he had the opportunity, he still dominated those people. I get it 100%. So so I think they're in the same conversation. But when it comes to impact and influence and inspiring generations, I think that Pelé is going to has already got Messi beat by a country mile because of his charisma, because of his charm. We could argue that he was probably one of the first celebrity athletes along with the guy that I'm holding here a photo here with Pelé and Muhammad Ali that grew their brand, that knew how to grow their brand, that 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 took pride in doing that and became something bigger, right? That and there's Plenty of autobiographies and quotes from Pelé that says there was Edson, his his real first name, and then there was Pelé. And there's these are like two different things. And sometimes they get intertwined. But Pelé has gone on to become this bigger thing. And there's still Edson, you know, that's just here um, being a regular guy. But when I think about the cultural impact and, and the benchmark that he set, not only on the field, but off of it, and what he's done to change the game and the perception of so many different things, whether it's as a black athlete, as a poor athlete that came from very, very humble beginnings, all these things, he is such an incredible story that that I don't think that Messi can compare in that way. And maybe never, I, maybe because he just doesn't have the same charisma as Pelé did. And, and 
that's going to work against them. But from a playing perspective, I think that they're in the same conversation. I don't know what you guys think. Keith? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's like, as, as you were talking right now, Jimmy, I was thinking about just this idea of like, I remember Pele obviously coming back onto the scene in the U.S. in a big way when Freddie Adu first came through, right? When they had the big, I think it was a Sprite, was it a Sprite no, commercial? Sierra Mist. Sierra, Sierra Mist. Okay. Yeah, can't get those confused. I actually like Sprite. <laughs> I actually like Sprite better than, with than Sierra Mist. To be honest with <laughs> yeah. you, no, 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 no free ads. But like, I, I, I have to say that. But I, I was, I was damn ready to switch uh, when when he came back on the scene. And when I think about that, I cannot think of any single player at any point in their career that was dubbed the next, other than when Freddie Adu was coming through, and that was like the big hype at twelve years old, right? He was twelve. Um, the next Pele. There was there has not been somebody that has said this is somebody that's on the trajectory to be as good as or better than. And if you think about every single superstar that Brazil has has had since then, mm-hmm. not one of them, as far as I know, and I'm sure in Brazil it's probably I think, different. I'm sure I think Ronaldo Fenomeno is is probably as close as it got because he was on this '94 team that won. He didn't play mm-hmm. a minute, but I think he was 17 or 18 on that squad. Mm-hmm. And you had Romario and Bebeto. He's not going to dethrone them, but. And then 98, had he won that final and didn't crumble, won 90, uh, 2002, I think he probably could have been as close as, as you come had he not had injuries and had he took, taken care of his, his himself better. But other than that, I mean, think about it. The top the top Brazilians that of our lifetime, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho, Rivaldo, Neymar, I'd say those are the top four. And they – they, they're not tying Pele's shoes. All right, so we've got a good question here for all of us. But uh, Heath, I'll come to you first on this from Justin C, who says, Pele is the most important player in U.S. history. Where would we be without him? Mm. And to give some context to that, Pele came to the New York Cosmos in 1975. He signed a three-year, $2.8 million deal, a very prominent number at that point in time back in the mid-'70s. And he raised attendance for NASL by 80% in his first season and went on to continue to sell out. Anytime the Cosmos played somewhere, they sold out. Now, they had other big names on their team, but he's he's the one wearing the number 10. He was the one that people were there to see, with all due respect to the other legends that were in the NASL. And I think what's unfortunate is that we didn't build momentum off of what he brought to the table. And that once he left, basically the NASL folded a couple of seasons later. And it took us to the 1994 World Cup, which is 11 years later, to kind of get that momentum going for domestic league. And then MLS started in 96. Do you agree with this statement that he is the most important player in U.S. soccer history, most important person? I mean, it's hard from recency bias, but I, I think absolutely. If you're a young person, maybe it's not, right? Maybe you don't understand the, the, the timelines. But any time that I've ever talked about the growth of Major League Soccer or the growth of, of the sport in general within my own like neighborhood or my own state or my own region. Um, it always goes back to, yeah, but there was a, there was a time before that, right. Where we were putting 70,000 in a stadium because Pelé was coming into town, right. Of, mm-hmm. of a bunch of people who didn't know the sport, didn't care about the sport until that point. And then when it went away, it left this gigantic void, which then led to this idea of this belief that there should be a successful and major uh, league in North America uh, that can be sustained by crowds and growth in the right way. And I think uh, people that, founded the league, whether you're, you're, um, um, Lamar hunt or, or your Anschutz or, or your craft or, or your, any of these sort of 
founding fathers of, of soccer in North America had to be able to point to that as, as uh, a time in history where you say, look, it's, it's been proven. Like the economics weren't there, but when, when they launched it, and it was three owners or four owners propping up the league for 15 years. Their belief was that eventually it will get to this point. You're just going to have to continue to put money into it because we know that it can be there. And he was the one that, I mean, obviously there were some other big stars during that time during an ASL, but he was filling up 70,000 seaters. Uh, and that was uh, unheard of at the time. Do you think that that using that as an example, and I agree with you, that that essentially Pelé, having him come prove the concept that these, the founders of MLS and, and having a domestic league, and if you're trying to convince FIFA to have the World Cup in 94, when you look back at what the NASL did at the heyday, when you bring the stars to the States, people will show up. I wonder how big of a selling point that was to FIFA to say, hey, listen, we need to host a World Cup here in 94. It'll do it. And for the longest time, I think maybe even still, right, the 94 World Cup has set the most records in terms of attendance and everything else. And so I'm very excited about 26. But let's use that as context, Charlie, to talk about David Beckham, because I feel like mm -hmm. David Beckham was essentially Pelé in 2005 or 2006, whenever he came, to really start to take it into, okay, we have our big global superstar again. Everybody knows his name for the most part. And now he's here playing in the States. And the crowds were something very similar to what I think would have been there. That's like a buzz. When Beckham was coming to your stadium, there was a buzz. I think what Beckham brought was primarily just for major league soccer and it was primarily about sponsorship money mm. and and that was the game changer because with the more money you can tr attract more talent and then more entertainment people want to come to the stadium more right. more publicity promotions that that's going to be able to show that soccer the sport of soccer is a money maker so in terms of getting people to play the game when you watch beckham you weren't someone that was like, "Oh, I want to play soccer because of Beckham. He's so mm -hmm. entertaining." Sure. That's that that's that's not what he did. When you watch Pele play, that is the entertainment. That is, I want to be him. I want to grow up to be like him. That it, it's almost like Michael Jordan. The same thing. You watch Michael Jordan. You say, "Oh my God, I love basketball. I want to be Michael Jordan." It's those entertainers, the, the people that stand out from anyone else, everyone and anyone else. That was Pele. And so in terms of creating an interest in the sport for young players to change that dynamic in this country, that was him. Because all of a sudden now all the parents and young kids were saying, hey, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to play this sport. I want to learn about this sport. I want to get my kids into the sport. And it, it was that generation that turned into getting us into that 90 World Cup. I can't tell you right. how bitter I am, Heath. I'm bitter. I'm actually bitter now when I'm listening to you speak, Charlie, that we didn't take that momentum back in the late 70s from play and all the other greats that were part of the NSL and turn that into something more long lasting. That it you know how like, good I would have been, Jimmy, if I just yeah, we would all have been amazing if, you know, Charlie had private Charlie had private coaching his whole whole like growing up so like his 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 pathway was already well yeah. well on his way but like you know when my when my, my dad. friend's dad because my friend's dad had a funny accent we thought he had to know the game more than our friends <laughs> right? uh, but yeah I, I agree that it is a little bit of a uh, of of a shame Jimmy that that um, we didn't take that obviously there there was a what we thought was a blueprint and there's I'm sure there are things now again from the star factor of what that can do um, but it was unprecedented the, the the sizes of the crowds if you go back and watch some of the videos of just the, the size of uh, 
these fan bases or not even fan bases because they weren't like diehards. It wasn't like an ultra section and these types of things. But the fact that this person or this team was coming to town, the Cosmos were coming to town and 70,000 people would show up because word of mouth marketing allowed that many people to be like, this is your once in a lifetime opportunity uh, to, to, to witness something. And by the way, on the back of this card that I have, it's, it's a brand by, by Soccer Shots. It literally says um, that uh, he, led his, he led his country to his first World Cup title, um, most celebrated soccer player. And this is from 1991. And it says that after he led his country to the title, some say soccer was never the same after that. And this is from 91, right? This is like literally, it's not like somebody's printing this now and we're doing it in memoriam. This is 1991 before there was even a major league soccer, before there was any of this stuff, before the 94 World Cup. They're basically stating that the sport was never the same after he came onto the scene. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, when you think about his... His impact. I mean, when you think about the ripple effects of what he's done and, and who he was, and and in some ways, I'm not going to say he was more famous after he retired, but Charlie, it feels like he he was. And I remember having an opportunity to meet him in New York. And somebody's like, oh, yeah, we'll make it happen. He was having a press mm -hmm. conference. He was opening up a Palais, maybe shop yeah. in, in New York. In Times and Square. In Times Square, and, mm -hmm. and I was I got to go to the press conference. They said, Oh, you're gonna get to meet him. And everybody wanted to meet him. It didn't matter if you were the most respected journalist of all time, and you're not supposed to do that and ask for autographs or photos. Everybody wanted a piece of Palais time. And I couldn't even it was wasn't like I was like third in line, and then I got and they're like, Hey, you can't do it. I was like 300th in line. And there was no chance I was going to meet the guy. There was just no chance. And I was mm -hmm. so disappointed. But it just really speaks to how in awe every single person was of him and the positive energy that he put out, which I love about him. He was trying to help grow the game. He was being supportive of the people that needed the support. And I think that really speaks volumes about his character and, and what he was trying to do with, uh, with, with in terms of growing the sport and and. I can't, I can't, I don't know. I don't know how much I can say about his ripple effects because I think we're, it's so everlasting and long lasting that even the top players in the world now, the ones that are putting out tweets saying that this guy's the king, I think it really speaks to the respect and, and reverence that everybody had for him, Charlie. He, he is the king. I, I, there's, there's no, for me, there's no debate. My, my father would be the first one to tell me, you need to watch this player play. And I'm like, we have no VHSs of Pele. So, he he basically would just show me moves of of what he used to do and and he was always just talking about how great he was and how many people wanted to come to watch Pele play cuz he he just carried that charisma and you knew he was going to pull off something magical every single match mm -hmm. just that type of player doesn't really exist anymore right you know you know yeah. Messi what he's capable of but in term in terms of magic and something new, who who's rec who's recreating the game at this stage? Well, what what I would say too on that is that, and there's a good there was a comment in there of saying uh, uh, from BX Gunner eighty one saying Pele made the world fans of Brazil, and I, I I fully agree. I went and did a um, I went and did a documentary in 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 one of the boroughs in New York around Haitian fans, mm. and. Haiti ha has apparently been emulating Brazilian style play, obviously to, to varying degrees of success. But Br the Brazilian national team came in like the 60s or 70s to Haiti to play in a charity match. And 
apparently from that period on, Haiti became bigger fans of the Brazilian national team than they did their own national team. People were like, <laughs> you ask every person in there, like, who do you support? It wasn't like a club team. It wasn't whatever. It was Brazil. And I was thinking about that. And obviously having just spent the time, this much time at the World Cup and seeing the fact that in, in a stadium where is maybe 30% um, actual people from Argentina, um, the rest had been like touched or moved by Lionel Messi. And I can only think about that on, on a more global stage during a period where it was much harder, right? I, I, I fell in love with Phenomeno because it was early, early YouTube, right? Somebody had put together 20 highlights mm. of him spinning three, four people, him doing triple step over to beat the goalkeeper, him <laughs> on these like 25, 30 second runs with the ball. Yeah. And I got access to that. So it allowed me to fall in love. Whereas back then, like you had to gather around or you had to show up with 70,000 other people to witness that that type of greatness. Right. And I think about now in the era where things are so much more accessible, how often we do things to say that we did them or say that we were there, right? And if you think about now the legacy of, of, of Pelé, like you said, Jimmy, going to Times Square, you didn't see him play, but you got a chance to be in the same place as him. And and that like I was there moment to, to witness this person in, in real life is, is almost... Um, Almost saint-like, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think that he is probably in that category for many, many people. And I think of the word legend. We throw it around very casually for whatever. Oh, what a legend. Such a legend. The goat, blah, 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 blah. But when you think about what Pelé has done and how he defined so many different things, including, and I'm glad you guys brought this up, what Brazil stands for and how they're supposed to play and how that's influenced them from here on out. I, I To your point, Heath, there have been times where like somebody supports whatever they have a favorite club team. And for a long time, their second favorite team was the Brazilian national team. And that just speaks to the, the type of impact that he's had and what he's done both on and off the field. I can't say enough about this great man. And uh, we're obviously devastated to hear of his passing at the age of 82. We wanted him for more years and, and uh, being selfish that way. I wanted more Pelé in my life, but we can always keep talking about him and obviously keep showing his highlights so people can really value what he did on the field so they can really appreciate what he did off of it as well. All right, we're going to take our first and only break of In Soccer We Trust. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the Brazilian national team a little bit more and the 2024 Copa America because the U.S., according to Tyler Adams, might be in it. So don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back, everyone, to In Soccer We Trust. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Heath Pierce and Charlie Davies. And uh, we're taking in and really just... I guess, processing the fact that the great Pelé has passed away and we can't say enough about him. We could probably go hours and hours in terms of his impact. That's just how special of a human being he was. But there is something going on that we need to discuss from a U.S. soccer perspective because Tyler Adams, who was suspended for Leeds' game against Manchester City yesterday, went on the pregame show with our friend Tim Howard and just casually mentioned how excited he was for the U.S. to play in the 2024 Copa America. And all of us were like, what? What? Mm -hmm. Because that hasn't really been confirmed. Now, we've heard rumors because it's supposed to be held in Ecuador, but that hasn't been confirmed by Comibol, the Federation of South America. Then maybe Peru was in, interested as well. Maybe they're going to co-do it. But then the U.S. has said, hey, you know what? We're hosting 26, the World Cup. Why don't we just take... Copa America off your hands as well. Canada and Mexico will get into the competition. So there's 10 teams in South America. If you add six more, you got a nice four groups of four, and that's a pretty healthy tournament. That's pretty rad. Now, Canada, Mexico, U.S. would be in. There's talks of El Salvador, Panama, Guatemala, Costa Rica, which would be excellent for all these teams to be involved. And from our perspective, boys, 
we don't have World Cup qualifying because we're already going to be automatic hosts or automatically in and qualified for the 2026 World Cup. So we need as many meaningful games. We need to be in this competition. So Charlie, Charlie, what are your thoughts about us in Copa America? I love it. Um, we all got a chance to, to be in it in 2007, and that was an mm-hmm. eye-opening experience. So to, to see our A-team play against other, the other A-teams in, in Common, Bowl, Common Bowl would be incredible. It's it's exactly what we need we need to be pushed against teams like Argentina and Brazil and Ecuador. I mean, Colombia, Paraguay, Peru, just in, incredible teams. I'm I'm a big fan of of us being in that tournament, and I'm glad that Tyler Adams spilled the beans. So let's go. <laughs> um, and and again, rest in peace to to the great Pele. I mean, I would I don't think any of us would have played the game had it not been for, for his influence. So, um, uh, my, my, uh, my condolences to the goat. Oh, well, Charlie, we're going to send you on your way. Apparently you've got landlord duties. Some people aren't paying their rent for one of your 50. <laughs> so we're going to send you on your way. I'm sure play had a lot of Thank great you. properties as well. Yes. He's got to collect money too. It's just part of the job. You it's know? a tough time of year for Charlie because <laughs> of the holidays, you, you know, he's got to collect rent from all the, all the houses he owns from people living it's in Q, them. It's Q4, people, buddy. It's people aren't four, necessarily four, four. home. And you know, like <laughs> this is, this is uh, hopefully Charlie's going to just like hey, wipe the slate clean in the new year. For we got to get some tax now. implications before the yeah. end of the year. So you yeah. go do hey, your thing, Charlie. I've missed you guys. Hey, much, Love. <laughs> Charlie Davies, everybody. All right, Heath. So a question, though, that I think is interesting about Copa America. I know that it would be awesome for the U.S. to host it. We have the mm-hmm. infrastructure to do it and be a nice precursor for the 26 World Cup. But I kind of like us playing outside of our country to maybe get a little bit tougher. You know what yeah. I mean? Where we have to go down to Ecuador. We have to go down to Peru. When we played in 2007, we had to go down to Venezuela. And it's just a completely different environment than it is playing at home. Now, that said, because we're hosting the 2026 World Cup, maybe we need as many home games as possible. I just want some tough games. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, when I think about Euro 2020 uh, and that it was 11 or was at least supposed to be 11, 11 countries that hosted games. Uh, yeah, remember, yeah. I was all split up. Right. There was something about that that I really liked because you were going to have a few really far away games, you know, and, and like Denmark and the Christian Eriksen thing that happened, that happened in uh Parken stadium, which is FC Copenhagen stadium and Denmark's national stadium. Right. There's something about, I, I like the idea of being able to have some games or a couple games in the U S but I, 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 I'm always just curious about like how big of a tournament could you do if you had it decentralized in the way that the euros were and being able to play some games in different places. Like, the thing about playing in a country like Peru or or Ecuador or anywhere that's not the U.S., right? You're, you're really playing neutral crowds a lot of the times. Now, if you got Argentina, you're going to play against the full stadium Argentinians, right? You're going to play those types of away games. But if you had some other ones, it might not be as hostile of a territory, to, uh, uh, um, a hostile of, a, of an environment if if it's a neutral stadium, even though there's traveling fans, if that makes sense. And so I wonder what the capabilities are. I mean, I take that far, far more than playing in the U S Jimmy, that's for sure. Um, and I actually like Copa America more than qualifying because I think we're going to have the same pressures knowing that this team now has a ton of pressure on them going to 2026, because I think we achieved what was expected for 22 and 26 will likely, why not? I can't, I don't have any actual like proof of this, but a different manager is going to have huge pressure to, to, drive success on this team towards 2026 knowing that we don't have qualifying i think not qualifying is a blessing 
um, because that's very different than what the World Cups are. So these types of competitions and then having the opportunity to play huge friendlies between now and then as well against big nations. I don't know. I really like it. I just, I, I don't want it. I don't personally, out of convenience, yes, I would love to be able to just drive right here to, to, to SoFi or up to Santa Clara again um, to see games. But at the same time, I, I also want to see this team challenged in a different way, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, same, same. I'm feeling the same way. I'm a little bit torn, but I just want us to be in the tournament. Let's just start there because when I think about the 16 teams that could be in it, we could draw Brazil. We could get a, a Brazil, Chile, and Costa Rica group. Now, that is a hard-ass group, and that is a group that you have to, very similar to a World Cup, you have to manage. How are we going to get out of the group? And then there's always two tournaments, as they say, right? You have the group stage, and then you have when this happens, yep. you get you get the you go right into the quarterfinals. And I know that when Copa America happened in 2016, we got to the semis, I think, and lost to Argentina. I was at that game, and they ran us over. It's four zero, I think. Messi scored the most ridiculous free kick, and Brad yeah. Guzan, I think, is still wondering how that went in. And we got outclassed in that game, and that was a good moment for us to continue to grow, continue to look back and say, all right. This is where we need to be. We're not there yet. Very similar. There's some similarities to the Netherlands. But it was game, a, it was a very we're not as bad as we think we are, and Agreed. we're not quite as good as we think we are, or, or we hope be. to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is going to be another opportunity to do that. What I love about the Copa America is that there might be, you know, if, if uh, no disrespect to El Salvador or Guatemala, but those will be the teams that we see them a lot. I don't want us to play them. I think though, when you have four groups of four. You're going to have a very, very difficult group. Every, all groups are going to be difficult, and I love mm -hmm. that. And I think that cutting our teeth in that environment, I think, is going to be important because as we talked about the expanded World Cup from 32 teams to 48, I think there's a natural, oh, well, it's going to be a little bit easier to get through the group, and I don't think it's going to be. And so I want no. us to be able to try to manage the group stage and these types of group stages as much as possible. Also, let's not forget that in those group stages, um, the U.S. beat uh the US beat Paraguay, right? Lost to Colombia. I'm looking at it here now. Which one? Um and in, in uh Copa America 2016. 2016, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, so I in the group stages, beat Costa Rica, lost mm -hmm. to Colombia, and beat Paraguay 1-0. Got to the quarterfinals, beat Ecuador, got to the semifinals, got beat again, and then played Colombia again for the third place match um and lost one one nil. By the way, the U.S. had red cards in three of uh, three of the games in that tournament. We were feisty, yeah, feisty. But <laughs> but I remember that being a thing when I when we went into that tournament. You think about Paraguay, Colombia, and you and I. We we had we had Paraguay and Colombia in in two thousand seven, right? Wasn't it Paraguay, Colombia, and Argentina in our group? Um, I was at these games. Now that I was at all three of the, yeah. I was at every U.S. game. It's so funny yeah. that I, I need a refresher. But I, I, I was at. I was at. Uh, I think I was at two of the three, maybe. Um, but. For the group stages, uh, but but when you think about it, the the team actually put on was able to show how we how well we matched up, at least stylistically then to be able to to grind it out. And I remember that being a, a hugely prideful moment for me because some of those stadiums felt like at times away yeah. games, as yeah. it does in the U.S. Right uh, when you play against any of these countries, because believe it or not, Colombia will 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 turn up in a lot of these uh, uh, cities around around the U.S. Paraguay will show up in these mm -hmm. places because it's a rare opportunity for these fans that now live away to to travel in and, and either travel to from Paraguay or mostly be in the region and get a, a rare opportunity to see their national team play. And I remember the U.S. performing well in that one and being very leaving that very proud. Um, and it's crazy to think how far 
into the future we are, you know, heading into 2023 now, um, that I think it'll be a great test for us to see kind of where we're at against these teams um, if, if, uh, if and when we are part of this tournament. No, I think we will. I don't think Tyler Adams is coming out of nowhere. I don't think he goes on television and lets that slip without having some pretty concrete evidence that we're going to be in the tournament. Now, for me, it's just a matter of whether it's going to be hosted in Ecuador mm. slash Peru or if it's going to be hosted in the U.S. Yeah. I bet you it's the U.S. I think there's yeah. way too many dollar signs and the infrastructure is probably a little bit more sound than some of those other countries in yeah. terms of just the scope, especially if you want to bring Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. into it, yeah. which I think there's a real big desire to make that happen. Now, hey, now here's a question for producer Des. Yeah, I was about to ask you that same Yeah, one. yeah. How, <laughs> how privy are active U.S. men's national team players to these types of decisions? I would say that you probably are aware of conversations that are happening and that it's a possibility. And, and he then follows up, like, when did you guys find out about your Copa America participation? I heard about it in 2007. I remember Bob Bradley calling me and saying, this was in March of 2007, saying that we've just kind of finalized it. We're going to be playing in back-to-back tournaments over the summer, and I want you to play in both tournaments. And I was thrilled, of course, and it didn't work out the way that I wanted. I missed the first one due to injury, but the second one I did get to play with you, Heath. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the first time Mm -hmm. I had heard of it, and it hadn't been announced yet. So probably, I don't know, maybe a month later it was announced. But yeah, I think I think... I would assume Tyler, especially as a captain, knows a little bit more intel than maybe somebody who's like Joe Scally, who probably won't get the same type of intel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and and again, it that information had been sort of trickling out for quite a while now. Uh, yeah, it just hadn't been validated by a player or a coach or a staff member. I mean, let's let's not forget that U.S. soccer has been very quiet uh, since the World Cup ended. Like there has not been you know, a discussion of, of coaching change from us soccer. Um, yeah, Tab you know, Ramos uh, is out here even, taking even, shots. <laughs> yeah. A reflection of the world cup where we went right, where we went wrong. There hasn't been any of that. Not to mention the fact that the soccer United marketing deal is up and us soccer is going in house with a lot of their stuff. So they've got a lot to figure out right now, um, uh, including the future of their, their us open cup property and all those types of things. So there's a lot going on in their world. Um, but, but yeah, I think, Certain players are privy privy to a lot more information, especially the leaders, because it comes to road mapping where we're going, um, kind of feeling like you're in the know and and you're kind of on the inside um, going on as well. But yeah, I, I had the sort of same same information as you did, Jimmy, around around um, Copa America, and I remember that being a big deal because you had the Gold Cup and then you had a Copa America, which mm-hmm. w- was a, f- a few of the A team guys at the time, but primarily. The next group came in, and most of those gold cup guys, gold cup guys, left because they needed a break during the summer to before going back into their club team environments. And so I remember there being a huge complaint against the U.S. for bringing less than best team um, to that tournament in terms of how they prioritized that. But obviously, oh, the gold cup had yeah. had uh, had bigger implications. There's actually to go back to, to um, that that gold cup. I mean that that Copa America, Jimmy. David uh, eighty three says, uh, "What did we learn from it and change today?" with that way of playing then. And I think you said it just a few minutes ago, that bite and that fight, there's always been a, a collective spirit to the team, but there was a bit of a meanness uh, in that group. I um, and, and again, you go back in the red cards in three of the games from the U.S. side, <laughs> and that necessarily doesn't necessarily tell, tell the whole story. But there was, you know, when they, when the, with the addition of um, coming into the team with uh, Michael Bradley coming into his prime, Jermaine Jones, these guys, there was a little bit of this like bite and, and meanness uh, to, to playing ugly, playing scrappy, playing dirty, willing to 
not just be disciplined and fight. I think that's always been the, the American spirit of the game, but more so of like a little bit of that edge that you get in the South American countries, a little bit of that edge that you get in CONCACAF that I think the U.S. didn't always have that. We had that fight, right, that willingness to do what it takes to get the result, but a little bit of that like almost dirty play, I, I, I think that the team had or embraced in that tournament, and that's sustained for a while. We look at our new team now, and there is a little bit of that. Tyler, Tyler Adams is fully down. If you pull him out of the pocket and he's got to chase you down to the sideline, he will lay you out if he has to. And I, I think there's a lot of players now in our team, in our national team that have that mentality, which I love. Yeah, I'm looking at the roster now. I needed a refresher. We had Jossie Zardes up top, Bobby Wood, Wondolowski, Clint Dempsey with kind of our forwards. Midfielders were Beckerman, Bedoya, Jermaine Jones, Perry Kitchen. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect to see his name there. Darlington Nagby, Christian Pulisic, and Graham Zussi. Defenders, Beasler, Burnbaum, John Brooks, Jeff Cameron, Timmy Chandler, Wild. Fabian Johnson. Michael Orozco, DeAndre Yedlin, and then in goal, Guzan, Howard, and Horvath. It's interesting for me how many of those guys, not necessarily on the team, some of them were older, they were, of course, going to move on, but only, what, Yedlin and Horvath and Pulisic. Pulisic. That's it. And and I think, to your point, what did we learn from that? I think in some moments, or anytime you, you put yourself in a competition like that, you bring in players that you've trusted for many years that have performed for you already at a high level. That's going to be the backbone of your team, the core. And then you're going to have these other players. Pulisic, obviously, still very young. You're going to bring him in, see what he's about, and see how he gets ingrained within the group. And then you have the other players, the Wondolowskis, the Bobby Woods, the Zardeses. Can they now, with a meaningful competition, kick on to be the player that we hope that they're going to become? And some of them, it's a sink or swim time. And that's why these competitions are important. Because we probably learned, I don't think Perry Kitchen ever got called in again, right? I don't, I don't, I don't know if Timmy Chandler was getting called in too much after this one, right? You start to burn bomb, no. definitely not. So you started to figure out who could help you and who could not in high pressure situations, and that's what these tournaments tell you a lot about, as well as establishing the identity that you're talking about, Heath. Yeah, um, and and look, those, those, I think that's incremental growth uh, throughout the years. I don't think we always, I think we there was always a fight, but there was a little bit of that that chippiness that that. You know, some players uh, in our national teams have always had, uh, but there was still that collectively, I think, a little bit of that mentality of we can compete with these guys and we don't need to show respect, ultimate respect to the other team that we can come out and play a different way. And I think we're, 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 we're evolving continuously to now we have that chippiness and that fight. We have that, that, that tradition of, of, of being hard to play against and that discipline. Now we're adding the skill levels to all of that as well. And I think that's where you start to see some of the stuff hopefully come together into the future, which, which, is, uh, which is, yeah, really exciting. But, I, I mean, even the U.S. lost the opener, I think it was at Levi Stadium to yeah, Columbia. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember the U.S. playing pretty good. Like, they were pretty good in that game. And, and I think it was a penalty and something else happened um, in that game. But, but the U.S., if I, and I could be completely remembering this wrong, but I thought the U.S. was the better team um, and ended up not getting the result. Me thinking like, oh, well, here you go, U.S. against Copa America, against Continental uh teams gonna struggle and then end up going to a third fourth place game which is just kind of shows you draw timing all that sort of stuff as well which yeah, we need fine, and also the fine margins right yeah. i mean you can play well and still lose and you can play crappy and still win and and can we be a team that if they're not playing well can we still get the results you know netherlands gave up a great chance to us early in the game and then they ended up going on and just kind of stomping mm-hmm. on us the rest of the way can we you know, can we be, can it be the opposite for us? Okay. We might give up a chance or two, but can we go on to win the game or finish yeah. our chances? We had it. We had England. We just couldn't take our chance. And and these are the fine margins. So we need more of these games to get better at being better 
with the fine margins. And that's why it's important for us to be in this Copa America. And I hope that it happens. All right, everybody, we're going to call it an end to the In Soccer We Trust podcast, this emergency one. Uh, to echo the sentiments from Charlie Davies from earlier, condolences to the great Pelé and his loved ones and for everybody that loved him, which I think includes us, of course, and for everybody. He is so important to the growth of the game around the world, especially in the United States, and he is going to be missed, but his legacy will live on forever. So thank you for your support as always, and we look forward to seeing you on the next show. See you soon.